So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. I want to give a really big thank you to Wild Earth Australia because I'm just so stoked to be a part of their team. Through them, I get to meet the most amazing adventurers because as a company, they are really supporting people that are just getting out there and giving life a really good crack. They're just such a good company that truly believes in the adventurous lifestyle. So a big thank you to them. Now, if you need any gear for your next adventure, running, hiking, camping, climbing, survival, you name it, there you have it. So go to the website, wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code, Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Free shipping Australia-wide, they even ship internationally. This conversation really sparked something in me. Just the idea about bringing depth to adventure, bringing meaning to our travels, and it just makes so much sense. Following the footsteps of our forefathers of of this country to experience a greater level of understanding of our ancestors and the people that came here before us. You're about to meet Scotty Page, a guy that did just that. Scotty is such a great bloke, and I left this conversation wondering why I myself don't do more trips with a greater meaning. I really respect what he has done, and I just think it's so cool. I would also like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the people who are the traditional custodians of this land, pays respects to the elders past and present, and extends that respect to the Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I'm pressing record, Scotty Page. Scotty's, we were just talking about before this about adventure and about adventuring in different ways and everything. And, and what I found so amazing, and the reason why this podcast is so amazing is that I get to connect with so many different adventurers. And I heard your story, I heard snippets of your story and what you've been doing lately from Chris, actually the CEO of Wild Earth, um, who you're also affiliated with. And yeah. what sparked so much interest with me in that is how much depth you have to the last adventure you're doing, like, like the last adventure you did. Wasn't, there was so much depth there. It wasn't just an adventure. There was like history there. Oh, and course, so I was like, mate. God, I, I want to come, mm-hmm. come hear this story and I want to find out like what that is because it's, it's, so, it's so kind of different, yet it's, at the same time it's right here in our backyard and we have all this history. And so it, it, kind of, it kind of even sparked in me. It's like, why don't I do more stuff at home? Like I do a lot of adventuring at home, but there's so much history here and so much stuff I can learn about. Well, there is. And I guess um, if you throw a family name or, a, you know, all of a sudden someone writes a book and you realise that you are, you know, a sixth generation explorer, you know, an adventurer. Uh, and these guys back in the day in the 1800s were, you know, my, my four forebears were doing it for survival. Yeah, uh, we're going out there and doing it for adventure and following in their footsteps or their hoofsteps, mate. That's a really uh, there's, there's a strength that comes with that. Yeah, um, I often find like with adventuring too and like and trips. It's like for me, I'm I'm always trying. Like I I heard these stories from like my my dad and like my my friends' parents like back traveling in the 70s and everything. And you hear about this rawness and you want to go back to that. And like for me, with how easy everything's got and especially with Wi-Fi, it's like trying to find the rawness and things and that's where these hikes and mountain mountains and sailing comes into it to get these rawness but when i look back at the pioneers it's like that's just how they lived and they were hard men and they were tough men you know what i mean and that's just like how they were and it's like now we have to to get back to that stage it's like we we can't even get back to that like you're saying we're doing it as an adventure but that's that's how these guys live exactly i mean you know if you if you if your body could handle it you could put a race bib on for different event events companies 
you know throughout Australia and probably the world and doing a different do a different event under the under the word adventure uh, every every weekend. Yeah. You know, and for me, I got to a point where. But is this in like triathlon? Yeah, that, triathlon. That's what your background and, is. Yeah, like you know, I mean, I, I sort of step in and out of different fields. I, I kind of was looking for myself, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can train for an Ironman. You can train for a hundred k race. You know, you could do it week in, week out if you wanted to, because there's that many. There's so many races available. So you know, when the opportunity came along for me to, I guess. Uh, delve into my family's history but also uh, make a difference and uh, take a year out of my life to actually find the original Aboriginal pathway that was shown to my family back in the 1800s and then do it differently to actually run it to be so how did this come about like how did the whole idea like yeah let's go to the beginning all right so let me go back 20 years yeah. and then we'll sort of fast forward and then we can go back to the 1800s and all that sort of oh, stuff. It's six, so we're going to jump about. I'm getting ready for story time. I've got my beer ready. I'm <laughs> not going to make all myself right. comfortable. Beers and ham and cheese tasters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> when you messaged me that too, I was literally eating a ham and cheese well, sandwich. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, go. oh, I missed out. I could have toasted this. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay, so 20 years ago, or so, let's go back to the 1800s, all right? W.D. Tarlington, William Duggan Tarlington was... Um, and I don't want to go into the, to drill down too much into this, but he was a son of a convict. Uh, and he, um, he had a patch of dirt uh, on the tablelands in New South Wales and it was only 300-odd acres, which wasn't enough to, for survival back then. And back then in Australia, there was a great opportunity to, um, to land grab, to become a free settler or a squatter, squat the land, make a go of the land, and then stake your claim. He was really in with a, a three Aboriginal trackers, um, so he had a great rapport and these three Aboriginal trackers said, we'll show you a pathway, um, or a, an Aboriginal sort of, sort of track from the tablelands, uh, to the coast and it's uncharted as far as whitefellas go. Do you reckon that, do you know if back in the day that the Aboriginals, the Aboriginals were reluctant to give up those secrets and I, so like he had yeah. to have that rapport? He like had, that must have been exactly. a strong rapport for him. There was a massive rapport. I mean, and these three Aboriginal trackers were legends, in my belief, in, in, in their own sort of world because they would have gone through so many different lands and they had this white fella with them and they were wow. given access, all right? Yeah. And there's this one defining moment in this track. So, so we did it. It was 186K by GPS, all right? He's done it. And they've followed this main river, like fertile river on either sides. And they've got to a little creek, which is a turn-off for it. And these three Aboriginal trackers talked him into turning off this creek because there's fertile land even further down or further upstream. And inadvertently, he became the first white fella in the Bega Valley, which is now Bega Cheese, like it's one of the most fertile valleys. Really? So the relationship there was amazing. Um, so yeah, okay. So he's he's done that. He's a lot of people followed him over the next sort of twenty or thirty years. So so he ended up staking a claim down That's there right. and claiming that land. Exactly. And so he's he's pretty much got the hot tip. These, Absolutely. He's made so these Aboriginal guys have have hooked him up. They're That's like, right. This is the fertile land. Exactly. <gasps> wow. And yeah, I mean, that's beautiful country too down there. It's gorgeous, mate. Absolutely stunning country. Yeah, yeah, like it's dairy country nowadays, but yeah. back then it was beef cattle country. It was just such fertile land. And in fact, 
there is a plot of land um, that he first claimed that is still in the family today, so which is pretty cool. Yeah. So fast forward to the 1970s, my grandfather, who was the great-great-grandson of W.D. Tarlington, was still using these, this crown land as, um, as uh, pasture or, or, you know, setting his cattle out into the bush. So he had what they call 99-year leases um, on this land. Anyway, the 70s, there was a big movement for conservation, um, you know, the Vietnam War had just finished. There was the alternative lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a big movement in Australia to, um, to I guess, squash old methods, um, which had been taught to my family by the Aboriginals. Um, you know, um, burning off, you know, um, patchwork burning, et cetera, et cetera, to create new growth, which is a hot topic at the moment. Yeah, because uh, everything's burning <laughs> right Everyone's burning the crap out of it. Yeah. And because, for fuck's sake, no one's going in there and doing the old Aboriginal ways. So, the 70s, all these leases stopped. So, my grandfather, um, who was the last to use these survival techniques, he basically had to stop the way he survived. Um, luckily, we had land around him so that he could, he could adopt modern methods um, to, to put food on the table. So, so your grandfather yep. was still a... He was a bushman. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. yeah. He was he an was Aussie bushman. Aussie yeah. bushman. Yeah. So fast forward like 20, well, to 20 years ago and there was legislation that went through um, the New South Wales Parliament and it's called the Wilderness Act. So basically they, they stamped pretty much overnight a lot of the national parks with the Wilderness Act. So it basically, unless you're on foot, you weren't allowed any access into these areas, okay, um, for to create these pristine for whatever reason, um, and they were there were probably valid reasons. Back so in this the day. this crown land, this one that that originally that your great 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 grandfather yep. got given, yep. is this like landlocked? Are there any roads to this part no. now? No. So to get in there to when he used to farm this land or when he used to graze it was this land, on a horse. It was always yeah on a horse down yep. this Aboriginal track. That's right. To this fertile land. Yep. That's exactly so now right. it's become like protected wilderness area. Exactly. And so you just can't you can't get in you there. You can't access it. So for twenty years so the last twenty years it's been lockout. Wow. So the National Parks and Wildlife um, sat up one end, I guess, of the of the scale. Yeah. And the farmers sat at the other end, so they were at loggerheads. Yeah. But over the years, they've sort of, you know, agreed on certain things, etc. And the National Parks actually funded a book for research. It was called Tracks in the Wilderness. Um, and what it was, was, was com- like investigating what these bridal tracks meant at original Aboriginal pathways meant to civilization and early Australia. Um, and the findings were unanimous that these tracks, these bridal tracks or Aboriginal pathways formed a massive, that they had a massive influence on the way Australia is today. So on the front cover of this bloody book, they put a photo of my grandfather, who was the last of the original Bushmen, or, or last of the Bushmen to use these, the, these tracks as a survival, okay, and this, this, this sort of section of wilderness. So my mum sent me a copy. I wasn't actually at the launch, but my mum sent me a copy and I'm reading it one night and thinking, fuck, 
There's some history here. There's some history here, which I always knew. I mean, I, I grew up with my grandfather, so I always knew. And it's in your blood. And it's in my blood, and I'm an ultra runner, and the horses aren't allowed to go in there, which, who managed this recreationally, these tracks. These tracks are going back to, in like, rack and ruin, because yeah. no one's using them. I've got to do something about this. So I started making phone calls to family members and, and, and modern-day bushmen and etc. And here we are. A year ago, we decided to um, cut these tracks out again. And this, this, is, this, this Aboriginal pathway, um, and I embarked on a mission to eight weeks ago, which we completed it, was to, um, to run this fucking track. <laughs> So, yeah, so how would you even start? So you want to reopen up this track? Wait, I've got so many questions here because it's no, so that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm so like, mate, my hairs are standing on end just yeah, talking. Yeah, man, because there's so much depth here. It's like, but like, okay, having these pathways for the Aboriginals, what did they? What did the Aboriginals used to use it for? Just going from like a country to country, as in land to land. That's right. I mean, as we know, our First Nation Australians were hunter gatherers, so they used to follow the food. So these, this track that we're talking about forms, is just a part of a massive labyrinth of tracks that even go up to Mount Kosciuszko. There's a there's one just been released that's been heritage listed called the Bundyan Way, and the coastal Aboriginals used to use it to go to Mount Kosciuszko to feed on the Bogon moth. There's wow. 300, it's 360k. I know there's ones where they get up to the Bunya Mountains. That's it. Because they used to go have, um, gather at the Bunya Mountains every, I think, two years or three years when That's they right. fruited. Yep. It was a massive gathering place. There's so much history here. And what I find it's so sad, something that I find really sad is that we don't learn about it too much. Like growing up, white Australia or white Australians do not That's learn right. about the history. And we there is so much history here and when i feel about it like on my my land when i i'm down in crescent head yep and i'm off grid just in the bush back from the beach and the bottom of my land's all sand now the people that i bought the land off of these hippies that lived in a in a teepee and before and she had all her children on my That's land fascinating. Right? oh man so i've just bought a teepee and i'm putting <laughs> it up um because they lived in a teepee and I'm going to get so it to come over. you're yeah. inspired to... Well, it's just like that's the energy that's in the land. You Mate, know what I mean? I'm hearing you. It's like yeah. she had her babies, lived <clears throat> in a teepee there and she had a massive affiliation with the local Aboriginal and the Aboriginal community because before she lived on my land, um, Carmel and her husband James, and James passed away and that's why they ended up selling the land. But... They lived with a tribe of Abori- uh, Aboriginals in the bush, right? And so then she was telling me about all, all the, the energy that my land has and that it was the old Crescent Point and it was a gathering spot for the oh, tribes wow. in, the, in those days. So You're the custodian, man. No, yeah, exactly. And I, so now I feel like this responsibility. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm like, okay, and now I was thinking about this. And when I'm on my land, I feel the energy and I feel the connection. It's all this bush, all the animals. Like I have so much, many animals there and it's just... You know, and whether if it's in my head or not, the thing is, it's just so beautiful because I feel so connected to it. And now this land is what's going to feed me. It's what's going to grow my children. You know what I mean? It's what's going to house me and home me. It's what's going to provide shelter. And I, and I think about the energy of this there. It's like, okay, she had her children there. And before that, then it was the, 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 the custodian, like it was the Aboriginals. And so I'm like, and I thought I'm going to, put this teepee up and I'm going to have a ceremony in winter, right? Where I'm going to invite her over and we're going to get the elders, um, the Aboriginal elders to come over and um, 
and I'm going to see if they're happy to, which I sh- I'm sure they they um, will because be. they love the idea to yep. to bless the land, but also for her to bless the land for me because it's like they were the custodians. Then it was Carmel and her family, and she had all her children on it. And now I'm the the, the new caretaker. Yeah, well, you know I found I mean? you know with 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 working with um, indigenous people, I've got some great indigenous mates who run amazing programs throughout Australia, etc. With um, with you know men's mental health and all that sort of stuff. They are thrilled. Yeah. They're absolutely thrilled for us to take an interest in their culture Cause it, and, their, and their ways. Beautiful, I often think about how fun would it be to go out and live with a tribe. I remember when I was in WA and um, I worked on this exploration diamond drill out in the middle of the bush with these bunch of bikies. Oh, my God. This is <laughs> one of the scariest jobs I've ever done because these guys... <laughs> That, yeah, they couldn't pass a police clearance to get on so any line. <laughs> and I was this young fellow looking for a job, sleeping in a swag in the bush. Drove over from here. I, I got home from being overseas and I was just like, I need to get some cash. I got on a $400 Camry off eBay and drove it to <laughs> WA and lived in a swag. Got this job with these bikies. And they were just the whole time on drugs like and trying to fight each other. And, and But you had to sleep out next to the drill because there was the tribes, all the tribes lived out yeah, in right. the bush out there. And they spoke Noongar. And it was just, it was so beautiful to see these tribes living off the land still. You know what I mean? And, and speaking their language. And like, uh. it, I just couldn't get over it and just how amazing it is. And I just thought, fuck, how cool would it be to go live out and learn so much more about the bush? Like, I've been learning like to forage and like learning more about nature. But like how much, like you'd learn so much more about, about our environment that, that we live in. From them, they're the, they're totally. the elders. They've been generation after generation after totally, generation. Mate. And you know this this current thing with the the wildfires in Australia. You know we need to. I, I mean, I know it's a political statement. We need to start listening to these these old methods. Well, the thing is, it's like, <clears> I find it so weird that we don't listen to elders. Just in any time in life, it's like we've always in any tribe. We've always okay. Life for me is like trial and error, right? And it's like okay, right now I'm building house. Right, down in Crescent House. Like, so what do I do? My neighbours are builders, a couple, some old guys. And I'm like, all right, they've been building for 30, 40 years. Ask them how to do this. They've already made the mistakes and learnt from it. That's right. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's just like, why do we now in society, in our culture, write off old people? Be like, nah, they don't nothing, know nothing. The well, old they know. It's the, that was you know, years ago. Yeah, we've got new uh, methods now, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But it's just like, that is the old sailor. The old sailor, he'll navigate by the stars. He'll na- he doesn't need, the, you know, he doesn't need the, the modern technology. And when it comes down to it, he's the one with the knowledge. That's right. You know what I mean? Mm. The people that know how to grow the food, the people that know, like, when you find the elders that have been in a certain area for a while, they'll tell you the, the weather patterns and what it's like and what, you know, it's like they're yep. the ones with the knowledge. That's right. And we don't, like, and we don't listen to that. And we could go back through this, like, the Aboriginals have been here, they're, like, one of the oldest, if not the oldest bloodline on the planet yep you know like think about how much knowledge is in there and i i guarantee you out like my general i mean i'm sixth generation but we learned so much from the black fellas yeah you know so much you know from them um going way back and that was passed down well you guys survived we did because of them absolutely if we didn't engage them yeah we wouldn't have been here today that's 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 fact oh man that, that is such a fact so and so what's such a beautiful thing. So, okay, so back to the trail. So yep. I had another <clears> question there. Um, so the Aboriginals used to use these trails yep. to get in there. 
um, then what did what exactly did your family use it for? Was it grazing? Yeah. Was it cattle? Yeah. So we moved. So we think about this. We've got three hundred eight acres on the on the tablelands. It's yeah. not enough for survival. The family's getting bigger. We need to find new land. We need to find fertile land for our stock. Yeah. Because uh, that's what we do. And um, so we found the land. We go back. I think it took him twenty years to actually move, like W. D. Tarlington, the original, to move his whole family down to the Beaker Valley. But he kept moving stock yeah. down there for survival. And then, you know, ports opened up and, you know, um, um, so so communication opened up, all that sort of stuff, and that just sped the process up. So how would they live uh, back then? Would they build little Just shacks? bark huts, mate. Yeah, dirt floor, bark huts. And that's how they, that's how they lived. Yeah. Um, and they would have, you know, on that 186K stretch, I mean, we know for a fact... Today, we counted one, two, three bar cuts that we could have stayed in um, that, that are still there, really? that are still standing or, or you know, um, someone else had taken them on. It was now on private property. Um, not dating back to the 1800s, but dating back to my grandfather, you know, the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, fascinating stuff. And I wonder what the environmental impact is, is like, and I mean in a good way, that all these yeah. trails had. It's like so... The Aboriginals would cut these trails and have these trails to use, but you're saying earlier that like the, how vital they are by how land, or I'm I'm guessing by like how how things have grown around them and how they've used it by how where they're foraged or, or of like course. what would what what was that? Do you know what that domino effect was by having these tracks in place? All well, over the by place? having that, <clears throat> then you had um, you know a lot of explorers uh, that followed the original. And it was really important for them to follow because, you know, Tarlington had, I think, 10 kids. And if another person didn't come along with a different name, you know, they wouldn't have multiplied as well. So, you know, you had these other people that all of a sudden you need different families in different bloodlines. Otherwise, all of a sudden you're inbreeding. Yeah. So, you know, they followed him as well and um, and, and they populated. I think when he died... You know, if you go back, he had 86 grandchildren, you know? Yeah. So if you go back through that, 86 grandchildren, he would have had 40-odd, you know? Yeah. Or, no, 86 grandchildren out of out of 12 kids. Like, that's, <laughs> that's just phenomenal. Yeah. So you need a lot of land to feed them. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that? Yeah. And what a hard life, a hard man, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, they didn't know the Australian conditions necessarily. Yeah. Um, and they learned from, again, we go back to the Aboriginals, they learned a lot from them. Yeah. And do you know but, their history of how they got to Australia? Yeah, so... Like being like, a son of a convict? Yeah, John Tarlington was his dad, um, and he was, yeah, he's, he basically had, I think it was larceny or, or fraud or something, so yeah. he came out, he became a free convict, got a free patch of dirt, um, and made a go of it and then scraped up his shekels to be able to, to, to buy a bigger land. Um, and then, of course, the squatting thing came into Australia and and um, and, and that's how W.D. Tarleton, yeah, got, his, uh, got so, his land. So how did you go about, when you first had this idea to go about and cut this trail, it's like, how would you go about that? I'm guessing you would have to, like, apply and... And um, talk to the right people yeah. and get, you know, I get think approval. Talking to the right people was the big thing. Um, in this book, there were there were five or six contributors that um, had 
either related to me or closely or, or, or were friends of the family. So I knew if I rang them and I said, I'm super, my grandfather's name was Super Sutherland. That was his nickname, Super. The, the door, the gates would unlock. Um, and the minute you say you're the grandson of, you know, someone who everyone knew, like a pioneer stockman or a bushman, um, yeah, things can happen. And yeah. they did. How was that for you? Just like knowing that you come from that bloodline. It must have been like pretty proud too. It's just like, yeah, yeah, proud. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you realize at a certain age, you are, you have the responsibility to keep this going, yeah. um, in your own way. You know, I mean, running a track at 186k, I bet you my grandfather was, was walking the earth today, he would have ridden alongside his horse. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have walked it with me or ran it with me, you know. Yeah. So we, we did it slightly differently. Yeah. But it was a bit of a political statement as well. Um, you know, a lot of those places you can't access yeah. with horses. Actually since we've done it, the national parks have agreed to um, some temporary trials. Um, so horse riding is has been allowed back into certain sections and i like i'd like to think that we contributed towards that decision so how would you okay so these tracks obviously yeah. the, the bush is starting to take it back and you found the tracks how do you retrack it like did you what you take a mole had, with you uh, start walking with a mole cane knife a cane knife and a chainsaw you lug a chainsaw for 10 hours and you just keep going and just keep cutting cutting tracks and just chucking yeah. it to the side chucking it to the side and so was there markers to like yeah, mark well, where the track was every now and then you'll it? see blazers in trees and these blazers are mate they could be a hundred year old and they've just been re-blazed over the years and no one's sort of been in there on a horse or very very scarcely in the last 20 years there was a group that went through just recently who were dog trappers because the dogs have been getting in there and wild dogs and breeding up so there was some markings that we could see through them, um, but all of a sudden you'll be you'll be out there and you'll you'll feel like you're lost. And but then if you start thinking like a beast, like because the cattle, yeah, the primitive mind, yeah, the yeah. cattle are the ones that the horses or the stockmen were following. Yeah, and they're the ones making the track. Absolutely. As well. So you start thinking, where would they go? And then all of a sudden you pick up another 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 track or another another blaze in a tree or, or a little box cutting where they would have walked or a side cutting and then you'll see a little cattle pad going across a creek and it starts to become really clear to you so what did you do so to, to cut this track did you go down in camp yeah. and like and would you have to what did you do have a pack on you and you'd try to do like 10 yeah, days yeah. a day and or something got or? permission uh with national parks in certain areas to go on horseback for 10 hours so we go in we'd ride in for five hours and then ride back out i had you know, friends and family down there that provide us with horses, and luckily I can ride. Um, and my wife came down with me as well, and she's she she's a good horse person. And we're guided by these bushmen. So these modern day bushmen helped us out, and um and and yeah, we're just an immense help. Yeah. Um. And still, like the last visit I had, people were still scratching their heads, going, Are "You serious? You're going to run this?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Man, I want, I want to get to the running partner. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. I'm like right now, what I'm tripping out on is I'm picturing you. There's 180. I'm beer. Yeah, man. A, <laughs> how good is that crack of one on the mine? Nice. Man, and it's so hot. And your your property here, it's at the back of the Gold Coast on Simpsons Hill, looking out over the oh, the southern end of the Gold yeah, Coast. Yeah, so absolutely stunning. We're kind of looking out over Gordon Merchant's house, Mr. Billabong, which is up on top of that hill there. Yeah. It's a beautiful uh, view and it's so hot and so nice to sit here and have a beer. It's good. But what, what I'm tripping out about 
is like, okay, so I'm picturing 187K, yep. like 200K, right, yep. of, of track, of bush yep. that used to be a track. Yep. Now what I'm picturing is like you going in and you've got a machete yep. and a little chainsaw and just yep. – and I, I can just imagine it just being overgrown grass and trees and everything. Yep. And so you're just cutting – I can imagine 10, 20 meters of that just being so hard work. Yeah. You're doing 187 kilometers of this. Well, how wide, wide tra- is the track okay, that you're cutting? So, some sections of that 186K was that good. The Aboriginal pathway was fantastic. They've built a road on a road on a road. All right. So, like other a dirt road going through. Yeah, there. yeah. But other sections is absolutely nothing. Not since, you know. The only way you could get through there is on a horseback. So when you had parts of like the road, so like you come through the track, then you hit a bit like a road where there's a road. Yeah, down, it was then sort of more um, sections. Yeah. So it was sort of more. The first section was so damn good that they put a road on a road on a road. So we ran seventy k the first day. So it was about eight hours of running. Yeah. But most of it was was road, and then you hit dirt track, and then fire trail, and then we camped the first night, and then slowly but surely. That just dissipated into into a couple of some blazes on trees. Um, so yeah, the deeper you get into the bush, the deeper, the deeper you, you get into, into this fertile yeah, land. Yeah. So how did you go like to to cut all this? Like how 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 wide was the track when you're cutting it? Like a meter just wide, two meters? exactly. Not well, a meter wide, just enough to get a horse through. So you're literally like cutting out bush. Like, are you doing this by GPS as yeah. well? Did you have GPS yeah, so I had the mark? full GPS. You know, Wild Earth provided me with, um, you know, the, the, the Garmin Explorer. Yeah. Uh, which was fantastic. Okay. So we could get some stuff. We got some stuff from national parks and and obviously the old Bushman as well. And, yeah. you know. Reading the land too, kind of understanding the where the, the track would go. Exactly. Do you reckon you went off track a little bit at some time? Um, or, or you don't know? Possibly, but... And I go back to all of the late 1800s, there was a gold rush. All of a sudden, the Chinese turned up, and the Chinese had a different way of thinking. So the original Aboriginal pathway, the Chinese went, well, hang on. This original Aboriginal pathway that, that you know, in certain sections, when it floods, we can't access. And we want this gold out so we can make our money. So yeah. the Chinese literally came in and went, we're going to divert the creek this way, and we're going to, like, pick through this cliff and create this all-weather access. So they're ingenious. The, the way they thought actually diverted the way the original Aboriginal part in certain sections, that, that it went. Because the Chinese came in and said, well, mate, yeah. stuff history. We just want to make money. Yeah. We want to find as much gold as we can and get the hell out. They have changed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the bush rangers come along and, you know. Yeah, was, oh, mate. This track's got so much history. Yeah. Okay. So you you've cut out the track. It's ready to go. And then yep. you're just like, okay, now like to honour. Is that why you did it? Like, what? Why did you decide to run it? Um, so you, you've you've wanted to bring the track back to life. Absolutely. Life, to so bring much history there. To bring publicity. Um, you know, we we're affiliated. Not me personally, but um, my family. You know, twenty years ago when the extremist or the, 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 the conservation was let's stamp this this with um, the Wilderness Act. Yeah. Out of that all the all the horse riders and everything formed a lobby group called Access for All. So we've had an affiliation with them. Um, and the Access for All is is pretty much a, a big big statement to say that, you know, the, this scrub should be able to be accessed by everyone. Yeah. 
So it was a bit of a political statement for me to go, well, I'm going to run it because you won't let me ride a horse through it. Yeah. Um, and I'm a direct descendant of, you know, the explorer. Um, it just so happens I'm an ultra runner, so I can run it. And let's let's do it. Let's bring some publicity to it. Yeah. How do you run 70K in one day? Um, like, how much can you run? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, exactly. Like, I... I, I I run 30k and I've nice. run, I've, I've killed it. Like I'm, I'm like yeah, yeah like yeah. I feel so accomplished. And then I look at someone <laughs> running 200 and you're like, how oh, do you do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, think the biggest challenge for me was, I mean, I set the course. I yeah. could have, we could have pulled up at a creek 30k in on the first day. Yeah, I thought, nah, fuck it. You know, I'm, I'm out here like wanted to test my own medal as well. Yeah. So I'd never run like a 70 an ultra. Yeah on the first day and then backed up and ran 40k the next day so that's what we did we ran 70k the first day 40k the next a little 19k the third day 27 the fourth and i don't know 32 the last so and was your body feeling it yeah i mean like and, that first and day, is that why you would normally um, not start that hard on the first day like how do you um, normally do I, that for endurance yeah i mean the body was good and we're sleeping on the ground in swags um, so the body felt good the next day. It was the mind that had to be focused because the second day was that real wilderness section yeah. and like every step was consequential potential. Yeah. Um, I like to put music on in those situations and bounce to it. Yeah. Cause then I feel like I'm dancing. Yeah. When I'm going through cause I rather run trails. Yeah. And so nice. and if I do that then I feel like I'm dancing through it cause otherwise, cause it does get tricky, especially yeah. when you get downhill parts. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh God. So, and some of the sections that in that wilderness, Every step, I was actually literally bouncing into um, fallen twigs and scrub on the ground. So land foliage that was waist deep. Really? So we had that to contend with as well. Plus rolled ankles and like yeah. rocks and everything. Yeah, and you know, 52 river crossings we had through the whole... So then you're going to... What time of year? Uh, we're, it was pretty... The, the rivers were down. Yeah. which is unfortunate. I mean, we would love rain in Australia. But if you're still getting wet and wet feet oh, and yeah. to, to put that ba- back on and then you're, you're running. Like I know um, when I've done river, river crossings, I like to take my shorts off and go across naked because then I can put you're dry shorts back up. on. Yeah, because then yeah, you just chafe exactly. up. When people are looking at you and I've got my shorts and my shoes on my head, I'm like, I'm not getting this stuff wet. Yeah. You know, if you get another K, I'm going to be red raw, man. Exactly. Yeah. Can I do a wee? Yeah. <laughs> I'll pause you. Yeah, nature cold. We're back on. <laughs> yeah. So to be an ultra marathon runner, have you always had endurance, or did you just start like just training and get and, and just running more and more and more? Like, yeah, I think um, I think it's a personality thing as well. You know, that type of personality where you, I don't know. As a, I mean, I'm nearly fifty years of age, um, not far off it, and um, you know, I started. I, I mean, 15 years ago, I started running some half marathons and then I ran some marathons. And, you know, when you get to a certain distance and you start to, I guess, not do personal bests anymore, yeah. you know, you get to a point, you go, well, how can I keep stimulating that, I guess, the ego or the or the uh, sense of accomplishment, et cetera. Yeah. And I guess I started running longer. Um, so, you know, I remember being out in the trails once and, been out there for about four or five hours and as you know in the trails you're a lot slower than on the road and i hit about 35k one day and i thought far out i fucking feel better at 35k than what i do at 25 yeah and i just kept going and going and i realized that 
I've got a, I guess, a, a John Deere engine inside me, you know, a good old tractor that just, that just keeps going with a bit of diesel in it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so the, 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 the love affair with that 100 Kers, you know, I've done a half a dozen 100 Kers, um, kind of got me to a point. And then, um, then on from there. Why do you like running? Because I, I love running. I just love it. I don't know why. I love, and I definitely, I love it as a, also a warm up before training because it gets okay. my whole body, it gets all the blood flowing and all my endorphins going. And I find that I, I'm just buzzing after it. But I just love moving in that way for some reason. And, but it's other people's like idea of a nightmare. To go run, you know what I mean, like, right. and I and I. My wife's like that. Yeah, she's I, like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. But it's like, why? Do you, why do you like running, mate? Years ago, I smoked a packet of cigarettes a day. All right, and like, like everyone that's had addiction or whatever, I had a mentor. Yeah, and he uh, he said, mate, I used to smoke, and I said, oh, how the fuck would you give these things away? You know, I'm, I'm going to go and get some patches. And he said, no, no, he said. Every time I felt like a cigarette, I'd go for a run. I went, right, I got it. Great. Well, this is the thing, right? Okay. So, so can I I'll just yeah. quickly tell you, my first run yeah. was from a frigging telegraph pole to telegraph pole, like, what, 100 metres? Yeah. And I blew up like a puffer fish. And from that, I, you know, 15 years, fast forward, now I'm, my last run was 186K. So. You're kidding me. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to, do you remember how long it took you to start feeling fit? Because um, that, that's that's normally the that is normally what keeps people yeah. away from like getting fit and everything. Because once you are fit, you feel so good. Yeah. But the first little bit, like for me, it's like a week or two weeks. Like I need to train, then I start feeling amazing. But I, I can understand for someone else it'll be like months, maybe even. But it's just like to get to that point, and then from there it just snowballs. Yeah. But getting over that first hurdle, th- that first hundred meters that you ran from that post to post, it was probably the um, the cleansing sweat. I think once you, when you had that sweat on your brow and you, I don't know, you, um, you, you relived your childhood. You know, I mean, I had a pretty healthy, very healthy childhood with a lot of sport and things like that thrown in and I was kind of reliving that. I go, oh, I remember. Yeah. That's what fun. makes me feel great. Endorphins, you know? Oh, yeah. That's what it is. That's why I love, pe- people often wonder, like, well, I love training in the mornings getting up early and going training it's like because you you've made you've moved your body you've opened up all, those endorphins are running the blood's running through your body totally so you feel amazing you feel great so you set yourself up for the day and don't you want to feel great you know what i mean like totally. don't you like you're living your life wouldn't you want to feel the best that you can you know what i mean and Absolutely. it's like a little bit of training it's like people say yeah but that's horrible but you actually it's not. It doesn't have to be. Make a game of it. Play a game of soccer and then it doesn't feel like you're training. Totally. And then you're like, you have all the endorphins that move through. But before you said about addiction and smoking, right? I was talking the other day to a mate about addiction and good addiction. And he was saying like addiction can be or is for him the most amazing thing when you let it. So he said anything can be an addiction, Right. And, okay, for me, my addiction is surfing. Yeah. And I don't see that I'm addicted to it. But if you actually look at it, I am. Because we, we perceive addiction to be bad. But it's like, 
no, it's, surfing has done everything for me in my life. And as long as I keep surfing in my life and I go to it, it's like I continue to travel. I continue to feel a connection to the ocean or just nature in general. It's taught me about nature. It's taught me about the environment. It's taught me to open my mind. Like surfing has done everything because I'm addicted to it, right? And like people that have like bad addictions, like you, like smoking, you have this addiction. It's like you're just choosing to be addicted to something else. That's that's so profound it's true yeah and yeah. everything in life is a habit right like you had a habit <clears throat> of smoking right and you created that habit because you were just smoking and smoking and became a habit you know what i mean it's just whatever you do becomes a habit but you can change that because you can be anyone you can just change what you do and it's so simple it's like all right if you're doing something that isn't serving you it's and it's becoming an addiction just change that addiction that's right like it, it it's <clears throat> so hard but yet it's so simple and easy I do a um, <clears throat> I do a bit of work in the community with um, some some young fellows that are in rehab, and um, uh, Restore House uh, is the rehab house. You know, a lot of them don't have family and friends around them, um, and they're caught in that. You know that that exactly what you just said. And one of the things I sort of say to them is exactly what you just said. You know, just replace if you've got an addictive nature, just replace a bad habit with a good habit. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of them can't do it overnight, but if we can work towards that, uh, and I go running with them, um, you know, some of them last 3K, some of them last 5K, but yeah, like if they can get that sweat on their brow and yeah. go, oh, mate, this feels good, um, slowly but surely we can chip away at getting rid of the meth or the or the heroin or whatever that they're, they're hooked on and, and doing crime because of. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, instead of instead of addictions that are short term, short term gains, go for addictions with sure. long term gains. Yeah, it's like, and that's what I suppose exercising is. And those, well, I I love talking about the state of achievement. And you said before, like that it, that ego feeding the ego of it, achievement, but it's like not even that. It's that could just be a humbled thing. It's just like keeping yourself doing like that. Okay, us as human beings feel the need to suffer to grow. Right, for some weird reason, it's like we need a challenge to grow anything in life, like to learn something. You know, it's like hard. We've got to put our mind to something. It's a challenge. You know, now we and now we grow because we learn something, right? But it's like to go, you know, extreme. It's like you running 187 k's. That's an extreme way of like of suffering. To grow, you know what I mean. It's a lot. It, t- it took a week. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, but it's like we need that, and we need those totally. challenges. And to like set those challenges, you, you get yourself in these states of achievement. Yeah. I love playing this. It could be a good thing. You probably so already question, do quick question. You surf. Yeah. What's the ultimate um, uh, buzz for surfing? Is yeah. it getting barrels in the room? Yeah, That's right. Getting barrels. <laughs> and how often does it happen? Not enough. Not enough. So, so for an ultra runner. Yeah. The ultimate, uh, the ultimate green room for us is to like having your brain tell you that your left leg's going to fall off. Oh, I love you that. know, and you saying, "Mate, that's that's crap." You know, shut up, legs, and 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 just keep going forward. And it doesn't happen enough. Yeah. So you got to be four days into a run or you've got to be a 80k into a 100k run or whatever to get that and the green room you don't get it all the time either it's kind of the same yeah i just put in for this grant um um to see i just put in for this grant we're going to see if it happens but there's a plan here to try portray this through film 
exactly yeah. this and, and people don't really get this um, and if we can do this in the Arctic and it's the whole thing about those moments it's the beauty in the darkness right and I explain it like this it's like people say why do you want to go okay I, I used to live in Indonesia for years and I'd yeah. surf pumping waves out the front every day right? yeah. I was just, it's just there you're surfing good waves they're like, why, Life's good. why are you going to the Arctic and, and, <laughs> Life's good. Why and making it hard to, to score these same <laughs> moments? And I'm like, because when I score that moment, it's like freaking, it's like I've won the lottery. Yeah. They're like, why? I, I don't get it. I was like, well, picture this. Imagine, this is how I, this is the example that I used the other day when I was having this conversation. I, I, I like this example. It's like, picture this. Remember when you're a little kid? I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up, um, you know, in a pretty poor family and everything, pretty rough, rough family. And, and like, I remember friends of mine, like, well, especially one friend in particular, was a spoiled little brat. Just got given everything, right? Remember, like, he, he just got given a skateboard. And I'm like, fuck, I want a skateboard, you know? I really want a skateboard. So I had to go do odd jobs around town, like, you know, try and mow people's lawns for them, do anything I could to try to get pocket money to buy a skateboard, right? And when I got that skateboard, I just cherished it. You know what I mean? Think about those things that you had to work so hard for. And then when you got it, it was actually just magical. And you cherished and you And those moments were like, when you work so hard for a moment and then you get it. And that's, and that's the thing about the Arctic. It's like the weather there and it's like you get so depressed and it's so harsh. You're in these blizzards and it's so wild and it's freaking just strips you of just everything it's so raw and the next thing one day this heavens just open up and the surf's firing and it's just and you're there and i was literally i had this moment in the arctic i had a couple of moments like this but the second day i was up there man i was brought to tears like i was literally in the surf there was the, all these snow mountains around me the most beautiful thing i'd ever seen the moon was rising at one end of the valley because oh, we're mate. down this fjord surfing this fjord and at the other end was the sun setting and I was looking no around way. and it was so beautiful and the surf was firing and I was there just with my mates and every wave was just cheering and that and it was so, it was so profound, it was so, I don't know, even know the words to blow, I don't know, it was so freaking amazing that it brought me to tears, right? Because I had to work so hard to get there, you know what I mean? And it's like, I would take that moment any day over like just getting it handed to me you know sometimes like okay after i was in the arctic i just went it's extremely satisfying yeah right? i just went <clears throat> and sat in mexico and, and just scored pump and waves and it was so easy and i just loved it and that was the other side of the coin because then i could appreciate that but it's like i say it's the beauty in the darkness right it's like beauty has darkness and darkness uh, you need beauty has like you need there is no light without dark and there's no darkness without light you know what i mean and it's those beauty in those situations and you can turn any situation to work for you you know what i mean all those whenever when life like throws you lemons it's just like okay i was at the airport or at the airport in tonga I'm about to fly to Vavao. we hadn't slept all night we'd slept out the front of the airport and then our flight got delayed and it got delayed again Shit. and then it wasn't going to go because of because of the weather flying into Vavao to fly north and my friends started getting all flustered. It was like kind of like a big situation, gnarly situation. And I was just like, no, it isn't, man. It's just like, you're in freaking Tonga. Just go have a good time. Like, you know, like it didn't have to be. You could use that. And we went out and hitchhiked into town. Ended up meeting some really cool people, staying at this local place and like having this amazing time. That was probably one of the best parts of that trip. But it's just like you had to make it work for you. It's like, you know, it's the beauty in the darkness. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like those <clears> situations <throat> where everything goes wrong or where you have to push yourself, where you have to suffer is where you grow so much. You know what I mean? Oh, 
I'm having profound realizations. <laughs> I love I'm it. Talking to you. This yeah. is great. No, but that is the reason why you do these ultra marathons. It's the reason yeah. why you you go down. It's like we're we're human beings. We're searching for meaning. You're like we're. You can't just tell me that we're just on this planet just to get up and go to work and come home. Just and like, to punch blah, blah. tickets. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, to go do something so meaningful, like, you know, find that history in your family and, and want to go through that. That's like, imagine, think about this. Like, you're going through this trail that, like, your grandpa was going through or that your great-grandpa was going yep. through. And, like, picturing how their life was then. Or why were they doing that? How were they doing that? You know what I mean? And now you're doing that. It's just like, no matter what, there would have had to be some sense of connection there to your bloodline, like to your, you know what I mean? Exactly what you just said with your data crescent head. You know, when you strike that earth with your feet, mm. you feel a sense of, uh, first of all, you are the custodian. You have a responsibility. Um, uh, and, you know, it has to be flawless. Yeah. You know, yeah. So many people have given me information how to do this. And I'm thinking up in the heavens, they're all looking down on me. Mate, I've got to make this work. I've got to be, I've got to make this successful, yeah. you know, um, and to set it up. And out of that, I mean, I'll fast forward, but we're going back next year, September. Um, we've had phone calls from other families saying, why don't you come and do our tracks? We'd love the publicity. Yeah. So we've just mapped out a 300 kilometre track Whoa. that we're going to do. That's massive. I'm Imagine so... Imagine all the terrain that you see. I'm so pumped. So this track, the track that you cut out, can anyone now go and, uh, and camp it? Or- yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of sections which go do go through private land, yeah. uh, which would require some permission. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So that's that's that. But, um, I mean, that's merely a... Hopefully just a phone call. Yeah. Um. But, um. yeah, I mean, it's all there. You know, yeah. most of it goes through a national park. And don't be put off by a phone call because if you're oh. if you're going in there um, being genuine, okay. So, from my own experience, right, I'm someone who can't handle rules, someone who can't handle telling me. Oh, I, I can't, I've never been able to. I can't handle someone t- tell me I can't have a good time, right? And I'm really bad with cutting through places I shouldn't or going in camping places I shouldn't. And so I'm bad at getting permission, but I've always found as long as you're not being an asshole, as long as you're like looking after the land and you're being respectful there, people want you there. People want you to experience that. So like just a phone call is so easy. Like if you literally are genuine and like you call someone and say, hey, like we want to go through your property, we like, and just show literal, like just be completely genuine, genuine with like, just be sincere. It's like, I want to enjoy this environment for what it is. It's like, how's someone going to just... Tell you no to Well, it that. kind of makes them a bit proud too because yeah. they, they own the land and you um, have shown the respect that you want to, yeah. I guess, um, uh, promote it yeah. in a way just by walking on it, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, we found that with, with this trek that um, – or this adventure that, all right, I was Super Sutherland's grandson. I come from this long line of, you know, explorers, etc., and and bushmen. But people just open their gates for us. Um, one, because it was unique. I mean, they don't get ultra runners going through their back paddocks every day of the week. It's probably the first time. Um, so, yeah, so they, um, uh, yeah, that, that kind of excited them. And they, I don't know, where some of them thought, you're really going to do this? We yeah. want to see a train wreck. <laughs> yeah. Or, mate, we want to see you succeed. 
Yeah. It's always funny. Um, it's always funny to see the people that support you. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because all you're doing, if, they, if they're not, you're just sparking an insecurity in them. Because yeah. they're just thinking they should be doing that or wish yeah. they could be doing something. And what was amazing with the country people, and you'll, you you know, this living in Crescent Head is, you know, I, like Jeff Wilson, I had a charity that um, uh, was close to my heart. Um, so the 4SD charity, which is Matty Rogers and, 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 and Chloe Maxwell's charity for autism, um, we sort of embarked on raising some money. So when it, when it started to hurt out there, we had a high reason for being out there, uh, like Jeff, yeah. um, in, in one of the other podcasts, which was fantastic. Absolutely amazing. Oh, amazing. But so, yeah, you're so running we, 70K in one day, so yeah. you're sitting there when, when the and going is getting Meanwhile, get we're raising money. Yeah. Um, and when we got to the end, the finish line, it was a party back at the country pub. And then June Tarlington, who was my girl on the ground, um, she was involved with Access for All, et cetera, et cetera. Next minute, they got this auction where people had donated paintings and they donated this and that. They raised another thousand bucks while we're sitting there for the oh, charity. Isn't that amazing? It was phenomenal. What, so, what's that charity? Four uh, ASD Kids, which is uh, so four, the little four, yeah, number four, autism spectrum disorders, the four, number four, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, which is a charity that you know, Maddie Rogers, the dual international footballer. Yeah. And what's um, what's the link for that? Four uh, ASD. Uh, for kids.com.au so anyone can go to that absolutely and go and that, isn't that amazing that people because I know Matt he set that up because that's something close to his heart you of know course. what I mean yeah. and like it's so amazing that you can so amazing that you could do a trip that's so meaning, meaningful for you like as in with your family and history and everything yeah. and then you can make it so much, so meaningful to someone what a way to like um, capitalise on that situation you know, so like I, to make it so meaningful yep. in so many ways. So I got so so Matt. Uh, I think it's official now, but Matt was on Survivor year, uh, last year. Yeah, and then they invited him back. It was all hush hush, but they invited him back for Survivor All Stars, which hasn't filmed, yet, hasn't been released yet, but he's filmed it. So whilst I'm down doing the adventure, he's on Survivor All Stars. So I finish, I finish this adventure. Anyway, two days later, he rings me. He goes, "Mate," he said. I'm so pissed off that I've missed out on this adventure because we're oh, good mates. Yeah, that'll be sick to do it with one of your mates. So he said, "What you've done is you've raised a heap of money for four ASD kids, and we really appreciate it, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. He said, "I promise you," and I'm going to put him to this, but I know, I know, oh, he's, it's he's on his words. It's, it's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's dope. Yeah. He's going to come and run the 300k with me next year. Oh, really? Which is fantastic. I mean, he brings a publicity to it. Um, when you do that 300k, yeah, you're coming too. Yeah, I was going to say, should I start training? Yeah, why not? So, if you were to do a 300k run, yep. how many days, like... Yeah, what we do. Like, okay. how would you work that That's out? A, well, I mean, it's still in the um, the planning stage, but I, being the kind of the, I guess, the enthusiast that I am, is we're going to, I guess, do it in teams. Yeah. Um, and we'd each have... Every night would be the same campsite. So whether you took twelve hours to do that that stage or six hours, you're we're still camping at the same spot. Um, so you'd get driven back or something. No, no. Like so that? you'd still, yeah. So each like if there's four campsites for the three hundred k, yeah, yeah. Everyone's still camp, and whether you're coming at one am in the morning, whatever, you're still going to camp at the same spot. So I would envisage that it's going to take us five to six days. Yeah. In in rough terrain, pretty rough terrain. Yeah, that's a lot of ground to cover. And non-negotiable, always do that wilderness section. 
yeah. in that. So For so an for, average Joe wanting to yep. like do a marathon or like want to want to start do long distance running yeah what advice could you give him i'm asking this because i i, yeah, I of love course. i i have a thing i love running and yeah. i have a thing it's like once i get going i go but it's yeah. my, my my problem is the runs not the problem i can just go and then when i'm done it's like my lower back tenses up yeah, i get okay. so sore and then the cramps after and everything and it's just like <laughs> oh man and it's just like because when i'm going i'm going yeah. i just there's yeah. no need to stop you know? i think you treat your body as a as a car, you got to train in every every gear. So there are there are times in your week where you want to be training at a, at one hundred and ten percent, or you know at a hundred k effort, yeah, one hundred percent effort. But the bulk of the week, you want to be only training at sort of sixty percent and below. Yeah, That's just the light key. Jogging, just keeping it yeah, at exactly. pace, that constant pace. That's right. I like sometimes like I like to like constant pace and then sprint 100 meters yeah nice and then go back and just con- yep. yeah 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 you're, oh. you're an endorphin junkie too yeah i just love it <laughs> i have this problem that's your green room when you run yeah man well, i have a problem that i pass out in gyms okay <laughs> it's not it's just not that. that's like i have a problem i was doing that's one percent of the population <laughs> i was playing this game last year called state of achievement and i'd st- i would run until i was done and then I'd say, okay, that's halfway. You know what I mean? Until I'm like, done. I'm like, oh, I can't do it anymore. And then I look and I'm like, okay, done 15Ks. All right, well, now I've got to do another 15 and try and do it. You know what I mean? Or I'll be in the gym and I'll play these stupid games with that's myself. Sick. I have, or it's sickness. Weird. You know what's, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's, it's weird. I feel that I've lost. Last year I was training for the mountains and I knew that I was going to be pushing myself stupidly hard and like i had this fire in me and i don't i think i know where it came from i just had this fire with within me um from past experiences that i think that i ended up clearing those charges and growing from it and it's weird it's like now i feel like i don't have that extra gear in me it's like i don't need it you know what i mean and now i can train a lot more um aerobically yeah, a lot more, a lot yeah more, I'm a within, lot more stable where it's like before yeah. I had this drive where it's like I had something to prove. I had to prove myself or I had to push myself. It was more myself. I had to know what, where my limits were. And so now that I know where my limits were, it's like I know I can do it so I don't have to do it all the time. Yeah. But it's like I was pushing myself so hard into so many extremes last year or the start of this year even. It's just like there was, man, I think maybe four or five times, like my eyes went in the back of the head and I went over. Well, and, and I was yeah, training with yeah. people and they're like, I remember one mate, he's like, I don't want to train with you anymore, man. He's like, you just don't stop. You won't stop. <laughs> and I was like, and I kind of got it, but I was just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I was doing it. Like, I loved it. I loved it. I was feeling so great. And I was just like, go, go, go. And everyone's like, just the advice from everyone was like, you've got to calm down. You just slow down, slow down. I was like, fuck, it's my life. I'm not slowing down. I'm going harder. But I think now, I think everything's in balance and like you, and you find your balance in things, you know? I think that's part of the, um, part of the journey. Yeah. We see a lot with running. They go, well, hang on a minute. If I push harder every session, I'm going to get better, right? I'm going to get quicker. That's the mentality. But you hit a ceiling really quick. Yeah. You know, I mean, running's brutal on the body. Yeah. You're hitting the pavement or you're hitting the dirt or whatever. Once you learn out, you learn that you only need a, like a smattering of that salt and pepper in yeah. your week 
what I call the salt and pepper, the spice. And the rest is building the aerobic engine. Yeah. And like, let's face it, endurance sport, we, we're spending a lot of time in our aerobic engine. So if we can, if we can push harder for longer in our aerobic engine, uh, during our aerobic, then that's, that's how you achieve. Yeah. And to, to, to be able to push harder for longer, you need to spend time in that aerobic space. Yeah. When you're running, when you're running a race, how do you work out where you're going to go into your gears? Like, do you start it off pacing and then, like, you know that, like, say, last 10K, you're going to kick it up? Or do you, like, come out the gate going a bit faster then then slow down? Yeah, like, what's your I mean, strategy? My strategy, if I'm racing, is, um, is feel. It's all feel. So I would like to be able to, in a 100K race, talk to the bloke alongside me and be able to finish the sentences. That's probably a big key for me. If I can't finish the sentences, I'm pushing too hard. Do you know what I mean? you're not getting enough air in. Yeah, well, I'm just pushing too hard. Yeah. So I'm kind of... So if I, can, if I can talk to our mate next to me and ask him, you know, where he's from and how, he's, how he got to the start line and all that sort of stuff, that's a really good indicator. Yeah. It's the, also a good distraction for you. Like, oh, I absolutely. find when I'm in conversation, yeah. you're just doing it. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And the back end of the race, that'll give you enough, hopefully enough... Um, enough power to get you home or energy to get you home yeah so when you run how do you land your feet i'm getting into technical yeah okay for me I'm but like foot. well i've been on the I'm treadmill lately because and because my yeah. knees yeah fucked i've been like trying to really roll on my toes and and lower the impact through my knees it's like when you're running road or even trail like mm. sometimes if i'm doing trail i like to bounce on my toes yep yeah i'm, I'm pretty yeah you know I'm I mean? close to you yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what if you're running on road? Like, are you trying to... Hit the same sort of foot strike for me. Yeah, I try not to be any different. Definitely not heel strike. Yeah. That's kind of a break. Yeah. But, um, you know, just focusing on those hips going forward, you know, and you're striking under those hips. That's yeah. pretty key, yeah. you know. But you could spend a lifetime trying to improve your cadence and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're... Um, You's built what you's built. You got what you got. You know. Yeah, yeah. You are. You are you. <laughs> I ain't a Kenyan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's weird. I don't get. I don't get that competitive with other people. I just get competitive with myself. Like I, I it's so weird because I'm just not that competitive with other people. Like I don't care about winning the race. I just care about seeing what I can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, and each to their own own for this. But it's like exactly that. It's just like I just want to know what I'm capable of. Because yeah. this is me, like a, like that Volmate over there is like his body and he, what he's been given in this lifetime is more built for running, and so be it. I'm not going to try and like beat him. It's just like I'm just going to try beat myself and just see what I can make the best out of my own body. You know, totally. I think with um, yeah, getting back onto what you were saying before is that back end of the race is, you know, is all heart and and all headspace, and I yeah. guess. When you've opened that endurance mind, um, and again, we don't get in the green room enough, yeah. we don't get in that endurance mind enough, you start to think about life's journey and how it's got to you to where you are today. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there, and myself included, that I guess, um, you know, through their life experiences, etc., has made them a, a better athlete. Yeah. Um, and the ability to, I guess, handle duress um, through, I guess, life experiences, you know. And for me, it was addiction. Um, did, did you um, 
did you want to touch on that? Oh, or did, or we can do it next time. It's, yeah, it's all up I to mean, you. it's you know, it's it, it is what it is. I mean, we can do, or you yeah, know, it's all up to you, man. <laughs> We've got time. We've got heaps of time. It's just if, if you're feeling comfortable, it's not something I want oh, to look, push. It's probably we're probably getting off the track, so to speak, track yeah. in the wilderness. But yeah, I'd like to, you know, maybe one day yeah. share that. Yeah, you know, and hopefully inspire people. That's yeah. probably the big thing. And what we we're talking about earlier, so you, um, Scotty's got a, got you've got this amazing backstory and something that you've come from and come out of it. Just you've just come out the gates, just firing, and and you've created this amazing life. And and yeah, and you've turned those things into a positive, and it's really inspiring to see. And now, and now you're using that energy to help young people. You know what I mean? And so that that's really cool, and there's a whole whole story there to be told, which we'll, we'll Maybe tell one another day. time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, oh, bring your microphone when we run this 300. Oh, dude, get, get <laughs> Matty Rogers, man. Matty, you, dude, me. If Matt if Matt Rogers comes, I will literally start training because I'm gonna, mate, man. If I could, if, if I could kick rat, his ass, <laughs> rat is coming. All right, <laughs> and we've got a couple of other legends as well, Kieran O'Brien, oh, uh, who is a friggin' ultra marathoner like podium like winner winner chicken dinner Ando I'm talking to I don't oh, really Ando, Ando runner from Wild Earth we can fit into amazing his, runner into his tight schedule uh, we've got another Blake Egg oh mate the boys are just amazing frothing. guys to run this trail plus I've got some uh, relations as well Kim Davidge and Dan Woodford who are you know I'd really how, how's how's Maddie Rogers fitness going right now awesome is he, he still, just did um, is he still running yeah I mean he just he just flew to Bustleton and did Ironman Man, so. I heard he only did the 70.3, which he's a bit of a pussy about. But anyway, I'm not going to say that on just, Wait, how's I just said I'm not that competitive only against myself because I'm not, but the next thing, because <laughs> well, I'm not. Now I'm contradictory. Now I'm thinking like going on a 300K run with Matty Rogers, the only thing I would have in my mind was trying to beat him just so you could claim. <laughs> you'd be like, All you, you got to do is think about, mate, think about the beers in the creek every night. Was, it, was he the first guy yep. to have a tattoo on field or something? Yeah, he was playing footy. Absolutely, there? wasn't there something from? He was the f- and he was the first big signing, like million dollar signing from um, from for, rugby for, league to rugby Kanoa? union. Yeah, so he went from the Sharkies over to rugby union. Oh man! So yeah, but most of his followers these days don't know him as a dual international. They know no, him as a as a reality footy. reality TV show. Oh man! <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well. Um, Oh, damn. I'm probably too big for my boots here if I say that I'm going to try beat Matty Rogers in uh, <laughs> 300k. That'd be so much fun. But but it wouldn't be about that. It'd just be about, like, a bunch of guys just running and just, like, yeah. jog- it just you just... Mate, it's Australian. Yeah. It's as raw and as wild as you can possibly get. There's no, there's no aid stations. You know, we're probably going to bury food you know, a month before, so we oh. dig it up, you know. Yeah, make it as like, raw as possible. Why Draw not? yourself maps and everything. Like, make Absolutely. it a game and stuff. Like, okay, this is, yeah, this is our rat. That would make it so much more sick. fun, you know what I mean? Absolutely Because that's the, the rawness That's the story. It. It's like, yeah. That's yeah. the story. Yeah. And we start at a pub and we finish at a pub. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, you know I'm so down. Yeah, yeah. It's so much fun. Anyone could do that. I, just getting your mates together and doing any challenge but have a bit of fun and adventure in it is just it is just so yeah. amazing yeah. you know what I mean to I do had, something um, like that one of, one of Australia's I know, he's going to freaking hate it for this Robbie Middleton is a mate of mine and he's there's, there's a there's a race every year called the Coast to Kosciuszko C2K and a couple of blokes in a pub one day said 
let's fucking come up with this idea where we run from Eden on the coast to Mount Kosciuszko. It's 240k, all right? And it's uphill. I'm going to go for a run after Uh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's make it. So you have to qualify, all right? So some of the stupid qualifications for this thing is you've got to run around a track, an athletics track, for 24 hours. And if you can't post 170k in that 24 hours, you're not going to get a ticket. So my mate Robbie Middleton, he qualified, he's qualified twice for it. So I rang him and I said, mate, I've got this crazy idea. And you know what he said to me? What? Pagey, it's a yes for me, I'll worry about the detail later. Yeah, you And did. from that moment he just said yes and it all unfolded. And that was like eight months ago and he, he come and did it with me. He was my bodyguard for the whole. He's a better runner than me. Yeah. But that's the type of person you want on this thing a bunch of mates yeah, someone that's frothing just froths yeah yes you want excited people yes. there and then we'll worry about the detail later well, that's like anything in life what do you, who do you want to surround yourself around people that are excited and having a good time exactly. you know what i mean because they're not questioning it that's right they're just being themselves, and they're going to allow you to be yourself there's no ceiling yeah you know? exactly i get offended when um when i meet someone and they're just not being themselves you know what i mean like if they're giving me this facade of like it's just like no just be you, man. Like yeah, we're we're right. here. We've got this opportunity to just have a good time. Let's just have a good time. What would you say to someone, a.k.a. me? Yes. That per, wants to train. That wants to train <laughs> and get to being able to run 300Ks. Yep. So the biggest thing is 10%. Remember that. You should not add more than 10% per week to your volume. Yeah. That's probably a good rule okay. of thumb. So I, I know that at any I, – I know I can, I can comfortably – for me mm-hmm. – or well, maybe not right now because I haven't no, run. Right. Yeah. yeah, let's say 15 or 20K. I know I, I could com- com- I'll, I'll, comfortably in a, in run, run that. Yep. Like in, in a hit. Yep. Right? So then would I start with that? Like so let's say I go for a 10K yep. run today. Yep. How long should I wait to do the next run? So. And how let's, far I should mean, it be? Let's start you off on three runs a week. Yeah. Okay. And what you want to do is you want to you progress for three weeks. So you want to go slowly add 10% to volume. Yeah. So stick with three runs a week. And you want to go three weeks of adding 10%. Yeah. Each then, run adding 10%? Yeah, adding 10% of your so volume. 10K, so 10K, then 11K. So say you ran 30K in the first week. Yeah. The next week you want to run 33 oh, okay. yeah, yeah, as yeah, a volume. Yeah. yeah. And then, then the following one you want to run 3.3, so 36.3 or whatever as yeah. a ballpark. Yeah. But every three weeks you want to have an easy week. Because that's when you grow. So, you you know, it's like throwing weights around in a gym. You periodize your training. And that's what that's the biggest key. And the yeah. biggest thing I see with injury in our sport is people don't build for three weeks and they have an easier week. And the great mystery with the easier week is your my easy week to your easy week could vary. And it's just a, mate, it's, it's a voyage of discovery. Yeah. Is that just... Um just literally just the body recovering yeah. and just being dormant and then going Absolutely. again. And yeah, yeah, you're still moving, but you're recovering. All those little tears in your muscles and all that sort of stuff, yeah. they recover, they build, they go stronger. You know, DNA, you know, the body's just trying to protect your DNA and then you go again. And what about diet? Oh, mate, I eat anything I want. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> Honestly, why is, I'm that, not, why is that with runners? I Do they just eat so much? I literally oh, like, eat, eat anything I want when I'm in training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I think of something, I'll eat it. Oh, I've got a cafe, mate. I can order a friggin' BLT if I want with chicken, or I can have a quinoa 
Buddha bowl or a whatever. Yeah, I actually t- got told that you've um, got some of the best coffee on the Gold Coast. Oh, mate. No, I did. God bless you. It was your mate that said it. So, oh. <laughs> so where, where is your He's cafe? on the payroll. Let's, let's oh, drop your cafe. Look, okay, I've been in the cafe industry for 11 years now. 10 years, 11 years. My current um, love or my current project is uh, at the Pines in Eleonora. Yeah. It's a lovely residential shopping centre that's... Um, you know, Monday to Friday, we, we know everyone's name, customer and all that, and then they have the weekend off, and then we know everyone's customer's name at the yeah. weekend as well. It's just a different customer. Do you remember the coffees? Absolutely. How you going, John? Yeah, how you Another going? short black How today? you going? Double shot latte, <laughs> yeah. half a sugar. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and that's nice, man. Yeah, uh-huh. so. I'm going to come heckle you there. Please do. Yeah. What's your coffee? Man, I like soy latte. I'm just writing that down. Yeah, I right, soy latte. Yeah, soy latte. Okay. Wait, I've only been drinking coffee for like a year and a half, and I've no just way. kind of stopped. Just because I don't, I've got so much energy, I don't need it. Yeah. But it's just like, I love it. But when I first started drinking coffee, I didn't really like the taste. So then I was putting chai in it, or chai powder. I freaking love that. It was so nice. <laughs> and then I went to this coffee shop with all my mates down in Coffs, and one of their mates owned it, and they're all ordering coffees. And then I come up, I was like, yeah, can I get a chai latte on soy, like straight up? And this, this chick turns, it was, that owned the coffee shop and she, and she goes to my mate that bought me there. She goes, where'd you bring this hipster from? Straight from Byron Bay, eh? And I'm like, <laughs> what? And they just wrote me off. And, no. Yeah. And they're like, mate, you don't ruin a coffee like that. And I was like, I don't know. And um, so I stopped putting the chai in. Okay. And I, now I really like the taste of coffee. Good. But I also, I also appreciate... What's well, a progression? Yeah, it it's just like, yeah. man, now it's so good. Like, iced Very coffee good. on a hot day. But yeah. I, I, use it, I use coffee now for training as well. Like, I'll have a coffee... Yeah, yeah, as, before a, I go, as a stimulant. Oh, yeah, yeah it, it for really sure. gets me going. Nice. Yeah. All right, man, we've been talking for an hour and ten minutes. Oh, wow. Thanks so much for um, having, having some depth. Yeah, um, thanks, mate. I, I mean, it, you know, I was just thinking just before, if getting a bunch of mates together... Everyone's got their history. If yeah. I could, if I could, um, you know, inspire people to to chase their own history, or even you know the country they live on, like yourself, um, yeah. and to go out and just explore it a bit, spend a bit of time in the Australian bush, mate. Yeah. You don't have to go overseas; you can, but the, the Australian bush is is unique. And we have so many trails. So you actually made me think before because my grandpa was a fencer, and he did all these fences wow. up the middle of Queensland. And my mum has all these stories because. Um, I've done a lot of bush work at the back of like around the back of Gympie, oh, like yeah, at yeah. King Arroy and um, Nango out the Blue Mountains and stuff. Peanut country. Yeah, man. And and all the way up to Rockhampton, right? And my mum, there's all these little pub, t- like all these little towns with like pubs in them. And my mum has all these stories about staying in this pub or staying in this or staying in this little shack here. That's... And because her dad was building the fences all along the way. And I was like, oh, imagine that. When you were telling me that, I was like, that'd be a cool trip to follow. The fence line, it. Yeah, yeah, the fence line that your your grandpa built. You know what I mean? Yeah, that he was out just proper hard yakka. He was just, you know, he just stayed in pubs, drank and built fences along the way. You know, worked hard, played hard. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like that would, you know, be a cool trip to have meaning to. But just even anything, finding any cool trip or any like pioneer that's done a trip and being like, oh, I want to go do that. Just yeah. even, okay, we're on the Gold Coast here right now. Do you know many amazing trails we have at the back here? There's a five-day one that you can do That's right. from... Uh, from O'Reilly's to, to Springbrook. Exactly, man. Actually, I'm going to like, tell you a funny story. Me and Matty Rogers and the Wild Earth crew, so Ando and all that, last year 
as pre-season, the Gold Coast Titans, um, they teed up. So the boys have just had seven weeks of pre-season. And they're amped. They, it's Chris, just before Christmas Eve. It's their last day of training. So they put them through a gym session. And they said, right, eh, get on a bus. You've got a mystery tour. So they come. They bust them all the way out to O'Reilly's. And here's their Wild Earth crew. Chris was there as well. We've got the Wild Earth, all the Wild Earth banners. And they all got handed a package. They didn't know what was going on. And we took them on a f- overnight 50K run. You're kidding me. Yeah, to Springbrook. And oh, it was... that would be so much fun. On the back page of the bulletin the next day was NRL's hardest ever training session. You're kidding me. <laughs> you're kidding me. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. So I know what you're talking about. The, yeah. the trails out here are amazing. Yeah, but they're just also so beautiful. Like even yeah. just go, going for a walk. It's beautiful. You know what I mean? And you know what trips me out? Because so I've grown up on the Gold Coast and some of these trails are so nice and I love going out to Crumb and Rock Pools. I think I'm actually going out there this afternoon. Nice. But it's just like I talk to people that live here. And they don't know it. Don't know. I've never even been out there. What's your top top three on the Gold Coast? Uh, Dreamworld? Uh, no, yeah. dude. Yeah, it's like there's... <laughs> fuck, where did I take... With my ex-girlfriend and I, we went up one day out the back of Springbrook here. There's this one ledge that looks out over the whole of the Gold Coast. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it's, it. It's... Um, uh, uh, I know the one that's the lookout. absolutely insane. Yep. It is so beautiful, and you're just up there, and it's just mesmerizing. It's right on the Worry Circuit there. It's yeah, beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. We have all these things and all these creek circuits yeah. that we have out the back here, and all the fresh water, swimming holes. Like We've got some amazing stuff, and like what's stopping you from going and doing them? There's camp tracks along all the way. That's and right. there's actually, when you actually look at the map, there's something set up for everyone. You know, there's there's like couple day uh, there's like couple day hikes, like five day hikes, yep. six day hikes. There's two hour hikes. That's right. You know what I mean? There's overnighters, and there's all these ones for any different level. And you have like, what is? Why aren't you doing it? <laughs> you know. You know what I often wonder when people tell me these things, just like, why don't you, why aren't you doing it? If you that's what you want to do, you know. I it's, I just always find it weird when people ask me. How that? How do I remember, do. Remember um, the late great Jack Gibson. He was a. He was a. You might be a bit young, but he was a. He was a master coach for rugby league, and he used to. He coached Wayne Bennett and all that sort of stuff. He used. To, he was yeah, their mentor, right. and he had a saying, and he said, "It's the start that stops most people." Yeah, <laughs> it is. Eh? It's profound. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and then when they get to the down to the nitty gritty of starting, they go, "Oh shit, that's too hard." Yeah. Find, you know, with anything, find what you're passionate about in life and just do more of it. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, why aren't you? I was just watching my stepdad when I left here. He was just watching TV. Right now, I'm just down at mum's place because I'm up on the Gold Coast. And he was watching TV when I left. But when I got home last night, he was watching TV. And when I was there the other day, he was watching TV. And this morning, I thought, he was just sitting there watching TV. And I just thought, he's watching, and he was watching this show about, it's like an adventure show. And that's what he was watching the other day, and what he was watching the other day. And, you know, each story is own. own. He's, he's yeah, happy, course. he's working, he's nice to, he's, he's enjoying, relaxing, and, and watching TV. But I just remember thinking, like, he's sitting there and, like, watching this and, like, enjoying what these people are doing. So he's obviously, like, connecting to that, or, like, he has, like, some passion there. And it's just like, and I just remember thinking, like, I bet he would love to be doing what they're doing on TV. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what he's but, watching, he would love to be doing. Well, his mind's that's drifting why he's away. Watching. That's why he's watching it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just like, you know, I wonder if he knows that he can go do that. 
You know what I mean? That he can go take a weekend away and just... And it's that start. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't know that he can. And that's some things that like I've done that I've done in life that I just didn't know I could do it or didn't know how to do it. You know what I mean? And then you find it and you're like, oh, that's so easy. When I started spearing and diving, like just getting starting to do that, it's like, oh, yeah. now I'm doing this now. It's just, oh, this is easy. You're a doer, mate. A doer. To go yeah. be doers. Doer. <laughs> Scotty, Scotty Page. I love the name, man. I love Scotty Page. <laughs> this is sick. This is rolls. Uh, mate, if you call me Scott, my mum used to, when she was angry at me, she'd call me Scott. And Scott. I, my hair's don't yeah. do it, don't say it. But Scotty, yeah, you know, well, you've got I, a name I know in the just, good books. Yeah, you just got a nickname <laughs> the whole time, Scotty Page, Pagey, mate. Pagey, <laughs> Pagey, love Dude, it. Thanks right, for absolute pleasure. Down. Thanks so much, and um, so I look forward to talking about addiction another time. Yeah, man, let's get you back on now. Um, I did read an article that mm. had some photos of your grandpa and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you? Do you yep. remember what that link was? Yeah, I do. I've got a, uh, a Facebook page uh, that I started up called Tracks in the Wilderness Adventures. Tracks in the Wilderness so Adventures. So if you search that, you'll see a, a shot of me in the middle of nowhere just going, how good is this? Yeah. And that's, um, it's basically a celebration of, of, of the multi-use of bridal tracks. Now, bridal is not wedding. Yeah. <laughs> bridal is an, a, a, an old name for horse tracks. Yeah. in Australia that's what they called them so you know we want people to contribute to that um, if you're out there riding the tracks or whatever it could be in Queensland it could be in Tasmania wherever we'd love some contributions and just to keep the, that pioneering uh, yeah. history alive yeah because if people don't use it as you said up at Springbrook if people aren't using those tracks mate they, they'll go back to scrub yeah, and and then even who knows? It's like when people are using those tracks and enjoying them and appreciating them, there's backing there to, to protect That's right. it. You know, exactly. then there's it's awareness, and then we can and we can yeah. protect these areas. Oh man, yeah. Okay, so what was that Facebook page uh, again? Tracks in the Wilderness uh, Facebook. Yeah, yep. Tracks in the Wilderness Adventures. And I did see at one stage you had a map that actually showed the yep. the, the track. Yes. So like, there's a photo of that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And then again, what was that um, donation website? If anyone wants to donate to Autism for Kids, yeah. Okay, so that's that's uh, yeah, close to my heart. Four ASD Kids Charity. Yeah. Four uh, ASD for the number four ASD Kids. Yeah. You know what I love doing? <clears throat> Donating to things because it makes me feel good. Yeah. You know, and I actually made a bet. Oh, with my friend Lexus Still Stoke, we said we're for Christmas we're going to buy someone. <laughs> We're gonna get. We're gonna donate things to people. To um, like actually donate. So you know, I could make a donation to them, and then I can send a card to my stepdad and say I donated this in your name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to do more donations. But Patagonia right now, I think for Christmas, they're they're um, whatever you donate to, you can send it to up to ten thousand dollars. I think it is. Don't quote me on this. It's just from memory. I think it's up to $10,000. If you give that to someone as a Christmas present, Patagonia is going to match it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, there's some, something huge. like that. Go on Patagonia and have a look. I don't know the details. Okay. I just got told about it the other day and I got excited and I have to actually look it up myself. They do some good stuff too. Yeah, yeah. But just, yeah, yeah do it. Right. Awesome, Ed. Thanks. Thanks, Scotty. No, thank you. Cheers, man. Yeah, cheers. 300. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just 
Since the recording of this podcast, the track and the country surrounding it has been devastated by the Australian bushfires. We have all seen the devastation on the news, but as a property owner myself with the fires coming so close and having friends that were not as lucky as me, I just want to bring awareness to how truly devastating these bushfires in Australia have been. From homes being lost to whole habitats being wiped out, the millions of animals lost and the amount of our fellow countrymen and women being left homeless. Let's not forget about the struggle that we have ahead. And what a great time to come together as a nation and help each other out. And thank you to all the people that have been helping out so much, volunteering, and to all of our brave firefighters. If you'd like to donate, go to bushfiresupport.com.au. I'll also put a link up on the website, diariesofthewildones.com. Thanks, everyone. I do it like a double.